This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdell, and my guest this week is Scott McCain. Scott is a globally recognized authority on how organizations and professionals create distinction to attract and retain customers. Scott's recent book, Iconic, How Organizations and Leaders Attain, Sustain, and Regain the Ultimate Level of Distinction. The book was recently named on Forbes as a top 10 business book for 2018. After thousands of presentations in all 50 states and 23 countries, he was honored with the membership of Professional Speaker Hall of Fame. I could go on and on and on about this guy, but then we would not have a podcast. We would just talk about how awesome Scott is. So uh, I want to dig into this guy's book, but Scott, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Nick, it's such a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me. You you have so many extraordinary guests and, and many friends of mine that have been on the podcast. And so it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be asked and, and a, a pleasure to join you. So thank you. Thank you. So the one question I ask every single guest at the very beginning is what's one thing people might not know about you? The, the one thing I, I, I think uh, is that I played the villain in a Werner Herzog movie that Roger Ebert named as one of the 50 greatest films in the history of cinema. And uh, it, it's it's so funny you ask that question. Uh, my, my great pal, speaker Larry Wingett, was in town for a couple of days visiting me. And uh, we, we went to a dinner last night and a guy came up and said, oh, my gosh, you're the banker in. <laughs> he was he was a Werner Herzog uh, nut. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's amazing to have done something, you know, when I was in my 20s that, uh, you know, is still uh, still seen and still talked about today. So uh, that's that was my my 15 minutes of Andy Warhol-ish fame, I guess. <laughs> It is amazing. And I think uh, the, the movie came out in 1977. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. So you, you played, a, a, was it an evil character or was it just a banker? Or what's, it, what was your role? Well, it, it, it's the story of German immigrants that come to the United States thinking that it's going to be the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. And I am the banker who lends them the money to purchase a, a mobile home. And then I repossess the mobile home. And it, it's kind of the villain of the story because there's a line that the main character says to his wife, you know, in, in Germany, they beat me up here. They do it from the inside out, meaning me, you know, that I'm tearing the guy up. And, uh, um, but the banker was in a situation where he was doing his job, but the, the fact that he was so phony and fake and smiling and, you know, kind of leads them down the primrose path when there's obviously no way, they, no way they're going to be able to make the payments and all that kind of thing. So it's uh but it, it, it really is an interesting, some people viewed it in a way as a negative look at America. And to me, I, I looked at it very positively and Herzog did, talking with him as well, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it, it really was the story of uh, it, it is not the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You, you have to earn what you receive. And I, I don't view that as a negative message at all. So uh, it was it was weird. He, he talked to me about being in his next film. 
uh, it didn't work out because one of the cast members became ill and then they changed it from an English speaking film to a, to a German film. Um, but uh, it, it, it was just a great experience. It, it was, it was amazing. I learned that acting was not in my future because uh, uh, Nick is, is, as someone that speaks as, as you do, you'll, you'll appreciate the privilege that we have to be able to write and deliver and yeah. kind of produce our own. And, and in acting, it was, okay, here's the words you're going to say, and I'm going to tell you how to say it. And I'm going to tell you where to sit when you're saying it. And we're going to keep doing it until you get it the way I want it, not the way you want it. Right. That, so uh, that, that just wasn't for me, but I, I'm glad it is for others. I, I did movie reviews that were syndicated nationally for a decade. And uh, it, it, it led to my first book, which was all businesses show business. Uh, the combination of, you know, how do we look at, at customer experiences through the lens of creating compelling experiences? And, and now, you know, that, that book came out you know, almost 20 years ago. And now it's just something we kind of take for granted in this, in this business. But we all, we all look as customers for that experience that makes us feel the way that a good movie makes us feel. I always enjoy this question because I have no idea what people are going to say. Although I did uh, do plenty of creeping to find uh, information about you. And, and uh, I thought you were going to pick something else. So I, I thought I oh, had really? a little yeah. rabbit. I thought I had a rabbit in a hat. So I, <laughs> I, I was going to pull out, oh, you're yeah. in a movie. But you... well, that's, that's wild. Well, I could play, I, I could tell you I played drums uh, and uh, uh, had a chance to go to Nashville and be a drummer with a country music, uh, the guy that was a star in country music at the time. And I had, it, you know, it, it's one of the turning points of my life. I had to decide, did I play drums or was I a drummer? <laughs> and those are two different things, right? And I realized that I, I enjoyed playing, but there is a commitment to any profession that you have to make, I think, to be successful. And that was not the profession I wanted to commit you know, yeah. my time and my, my effort to. And, and getting involved in the customer experience and writing and speaking about it, that's, that's something I can spend my entire life doing. Yeah, there's a difference between good and great. And then there's a difference between iconic. Aha! <laughs> Which we'll, which we'll talk about Great here, right? segue. I love it. Yes. So the book, right? Iconic. It's how organizations and leaders attain, sustain, oh, and regain the ultimate level of distinction. Yeah. Awesome book. I highly Thank recommend you. everybody to uh, pick this thing up. Uh, the one question, I, I got a bunch of questions, but yeah. the first question I have is, what does it mean to you to be iconic? You know, the, the book I wrote before Iconic was was named Create Distinction, and it was what you could do to stand out in the marketplace. And interestingly enough, one of my clients, uh, they, they, they went through the whole process, it's Fairmont Hotels, and they went through the whole process about, you know, how do we have distinctive housekeeping? You know, what, what would make our housekeeping distinctive from Marriott? And how do we have the distinctive front desk? And how do we... and they, they, one property in particular, uh, the, the Fairmont Scottsdale Princess did it and, and they're getting all these accolades. And so I'm having breakfast with the CEO of that hotel and he said, okay, so now what? Hmm. It was a blinding flash, flash the obvious. I'd written a book about how you got there, but not how you kept it or how you got it back. But the other thing that I noticed was distinction to me meant that you stood out from your competition. You know, how, how did that hotel stand out from the Marriott's and the Hyatt's and the Hilton's in that area? How, how did you become distinctive with your competition? But yet, as we know, there are some businesses that transcend their category. They are so good at what they do that, you know, I, I, for example, I, I speak a lot to financial advisors 
well, you know, there's some that stand out from other financial advisors, but there's some advisors that are so good. I wish my accountant ran her office the way my advisor does. I wish my doctor ran their office. I wish when I go to buy a car that they would treat me the way that this financial advisor treats me, right? So to me, that's iconic. When you yeah. become not just the standard, the go-to in your industry, but you become a benchmark across categorization, that's when you're truly you know, iconic. And there's some that are just cliches. I mean, you know, uh, Michael Jordan wasn't just distinctive in basketball, Le LeBron James. They're iconic. They transcend their sport. Uh, yeah. Starbucks isn't just a coffee shop. And these are just so old and tired examples, but yet they're, they're ones I can use that, that everybody understands. But like, yeah, you know, as you read the book, there's a, there's a steakhouse in Indianapolis has higher revenue than Tavern on the Green in New York City. And every business in Indiana, not just other restaurants, every business in Indiana looks at, you know, how do we keep our employees the way that St. Elmo's keeps great waiters? How, mm -hmm. how do we create something that my friend Jay Bear calls it a talk trigger, like the cocktail sauce at St. Elmo's? How do we create that? So they become a standard by which every business in that community aspires. So that to me is what iconic is when you transcend your own category because what you deliver is so superior and, and you can't be iconic without delivering ultimate customer experiences. Yeah. I would say the same is true. Uh, I, I saw a quote a while ago where it said, talked about uh, organizations or people getting tattoos of companies on their bodies. And the number one tattoo in the world of a company is Harley Davidson. Yeah. And so the question I've always uh, kind of proposed is how do you get a person to put a tattoo of your organization on their body? And what does that mean? Not necessarily, right? Figuratively, but what does that mean? And how do you reach that? And I think that is the, the iconic stage. Oh, you're exactly right. Uh, I was the keynote speaker for the global dealer meeting for Harley Davidson a few years back. And uh, a, a Harley dealer came up and pulled up his sleeve and showed me the Harley tattoo. And then he said to me, do you believe in distinction enough to get it tattooed? Like I believe in Harley, I got it tattooed. And I went out and I got distinct <laughs> inked on my arm because I, I, you know, I, I think you got to walk your talk. I think, you know, and, and so what you're saying really resonates with me, Nick, because, uh, you know, I, not that, not that you have to put it in ink on your body, but are you that committed and, and, and we might vary, you know, your commitments shouldn't be the same as mine and vice versa. But the, the question is, are, are you that committed? I, I think that's one of the problems today is that, you know, we're not clear about what we are and we're not clear about what we are not. And so many organizations try to be all things to all people. And there, there's a lot of things I disagree with in the book, Good to Great. But the opening line to me is the greatest opening of any business book. And that is that good is the enemy of great. And there's a lot of places that have good customer experiences, and that's what keeps them from having great customer experiences. They don't go all in. Uh, so what, what we have to do is to, you, you gave a perfect example. We, we've got to be so committed to who we are and what we do and how we deliver it that it, it, it is the same level of commitment as putting it in ink in your body. So for the people that can't see Scott, and I didn't, I did had no idea that he presented at Harley and I had no idea that he actually has a tattoo of distinction on his body, but that was the, that was the greatest setup 
uh, of all time. <laughs> I, 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 that will never happen again. That was amazing. <laughs> was. So one of the quotes that you have in the book is to attain, to attain iconic status, you must seek to enhance and play to the strengths of your team. And I think that really resonates with me because I've experienced it like when you go into a quick trip, like in uh, St. Louis, that was my favorite QT was my favorite gas station at that gas station. And I'm guessing they were trained on it, but they would look at my credit card at the time, or if I, you know, whatever I bought and they looked at my credit card and they're like, all right, Nick, see you later. And you say, all right, see you later in your head, in my subconscious, I'm telling them I'm coming back. Uh, but which with with Quick Trip, you you mentioned the chapter. What makes them successful? Well, they believe in their people, and they they show that by how they compensate them, among other things. Right? It's um, one of the things I, I say at business meetings that sometimes gets me in a little bit of trouble because it's a little controversial. But I I. I you know, especially pre-pandemic when everybody was meeting together and, and I, would, I would hear these executives get up and go, people are our most important asset. And then they'd treat them like an expense. You know, in, in business, to me, an expense is something you seek to minimize or eliminate, right? An expense is something I need to manage. An asset is something I nurture and help to grow. And what... Quick Trip does is to truly treat their people as an asset and invest in them, pay them better. Keep, you know, and, and I was on a program a, a while back, and, it, and there, you know, I take my seat to give my speech, and, and there was going to be a panel discussion on before me. And there was an older gentleman that was sitting next to me. We strike up a conversation, and I didn't know who he was. And they introduced the co founder of Costco. And this guy stands up and walks onto the stage. I'm like, oh my gosh, shut up. But one of the things he said as we were talking afterwards is he said, the key to success of Costco is that I decided early on, I would rather turn over inventory than team members. Wow. But most places viewed that turnover of employees as like turning over inventory. And he said, if there's a key to our success, you know, people think, oh, it's lower prices. It's, but he said, it's really not. It's that we, we really do care about our people and we treat them better. You know, and it's interesting. Uh, my wife is from Fort Wayne, Indiana. When Costco opened in Fort Wayne, the number of, of applicants to work there was extraordinary. And we call this a clue. <laughs> I mean, you Compensation is part of it. It's not all of it, but it's part of it. But what QT does, what Costco does is they, they treat people as an asset. It's not just lip service. It truly is the way that they create experiences. I mean, you know, we saw this in the airline industry. Uh, they, they, would, they would treat their employees extraordinarily poorly, uh, compensate them poorly, and then expect them to deliver great experiences to customers. You can't. You can't balance your book on the on the books on the backs of your employees and then expect them to deliver the kind of experiences that that customers are going to find compelling. So you you gave the perfect example there, Nick with QT. I mean, they, they, again, why did that person make that effort? Well, it's because the the company displayed a commitment to them, and so they're modeling that behavior by showing that commitment to to you as a customer. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but. 
so I believe they pay them well above the average of what they should be getting paid. But when it comes to training, they also trained them and started saying, Hey, you're going to, you're going to learn how to do the inventory. You're going to learn how to do the cashier or the run the, you know, clean the floors and clean the toilets all at the beginning. So you know exactly what it's like yeah. and maybe what are the same, some of the pain points are. So you know how to fix them or you know what, it, what, what that process is going forward. And I exactly. think that is so, so key. Yeah. The one exactly. thing you mentioned, you talked about asset over, um, what, uh, over, what, expense. over yeah. expense. It made me think of like, are they, are they overhead? Or are you pushing them over your head? Like, are you celebrating them? Oh, I love that. Or are you thought of it that way? I love that. Yeah. Feel free to use that. I, I, I will quote you. I love that. It's all that. It's all yours. So when it comes to organization, we talked about QT, we talked about Costco. Why do companies run from their own uniqueness? I, I think because they, uh, a couple things. One is, I think because they incorrectly assume that the more, the more alternatives we offer to the marketplace, the more attractive we're going to be to customers. So they try to be all things to all people, and they don't want to isolate. They, they, they want to tell you what they are, but they're not as willing to tell you what they are not. And you can't have clarity unless you're also willing to define what you're not. I, I heard a lecture the other day that, that really struck me. It said, when you, did you ever wonder why a country's boundaries are what they are? Well, it's because in ancient times in particular, that's where they were willing to fight the battles. Hmm. You know, you cross this line, we're going to fight you. We're going to claim this as our territory. And if you cross this line now, if, if you stay on the other side of that line, all right, we're all right. You know, and, and so the boundary lines are where the battles were fought. And most organizations aren't willing to fight those battles and establish those boundaries. But, but the other thing is, in recorded history, no customer has ever said, I love doing business with them. They're exactly like everybody else. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I proposed to my wife, I did not say, will you marry me? You're just like every other woman I've ever dated. Yeah, I mean, that would not be a great proposal, right? So it, we are attracted by our, by the differences. And most organizations run from that. They don't, they, they either don't know why they are different, or they don't try to create a difference, or they're not willing to do the battles that it takes to establish the boundaries that it would really attract customers. No customer is loyal to a generic, yet many organizations try to be exactly that. And it's gonna be harder every single year trying to create distinction and to meet customers' expectations. So if you try to be like everybody else and you're just Manila, yeah. then you're going to fall back. Totally. So there's, a, there's, a lot, there's a lot to that. One thing, I think in chapter six, you lost me a little bit. And you tell people, you told people to go negative. So are you telling me that the iconic companies are not always bubbly or happy? <laughs> One thing I, I, I want to stress, I probably should have stressed it to a greater degree in the book, is that I'm not saying be negative. I am saying go negative and don't be afraid of the negative. Here, here's what happens. Um, a situation, let's say, you know, something happens and I'm a dissatisfied customer. So I complain. Now, by the way, you know, there's a lot of research out there that, that you know as well or better than I, Nick, that, you know, a complaint really is a gift. 
right? Because there are some customers that don't complain to you, but they'll tell everybody else and they never come back and you never get a chance to regain their business. So a complaint is something what we need to take very seriously from customers. But yet what often happens is we don't, you know, we just want to make sure that customer is happy. So we put a Band-Aid on it and send that customer away happy. But we don't go negative enough to drill into what is wrong with procedure or what is wrong with our training or what is wrong with the policy that created, that, that let this happen to create a dissatisfied customer. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Um, there, there was a study at Texas A&M University that said that the SWOT analysis, the strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, analysis at many companies has become irrelevant because employees are afraid of, of identifying weaknesses out of fear that they will be perceived as negative employees. And, and it's a whole shoot the messenger kind of thing that we see in, in, in so many organizations. So what I'm trying, one of the things I noticed about iconic organizations was they embrace that negativity. Let's really drill down and figure out what's wrong as the way of making it right. And, and I'd, I'd like to see more organizations as they try to become iconic, understand that positive employees and positive procedures can be obtained by not being afraid of the negative and being willing to, to go deep and, and discover those, those issues. So interesting. So how should my listeners go negative? Hmm. Well, you know, in, in part, it depends on what their individual specific responsibilities are, of course. But, you know, take a look at take a look at what's going on with your customer surveys, and your customer evaluations. You know, are there are there trends in what they are saying? OK, so so how does that happen? And, and, and walk backwards through every step. And, and a lot of times, you know, it's it, it's a bad analogy, but it's a lot like a plane crash. You know, when a plane crashes, it's not necessarily that one thing goes wrong. It's that this happened that triggered something else that created. And, but it isn't until we really go deeply into that that we figure out where that first error was that contributed to the second mistake. That, and, and, and that analysis becomes important. Secondly is, I love doing customer interviews. You know, when somebody isn't happy, to, to really ascertain what specifically was it. Now, one of the problems in doing that is that organizations turn that into a sales call. You know, or, or, hey, we'll give you a free one if you come back. Well, that didn't solve the problem, right? I mean, it, it, it made that customer happy. Hey, I, you know, I got it for free. But what, what created the problem? What, what created that situation? And, and we can... When we show the customer we really care about fixing it, by the way, one of the things that some iconic organizations do too is they follow up on that. Thank you for this input. 
here's what we did to make sure this doesn't happen to other people again. You know, one of the interesting things I, I talked to AIG malpractice and they do malpractice insurance. And they said one of the most important things that some folks want when they file a malpractice suit against the doctor, it isn't that they want compensation. It isn't that they're trying to take a hunk out of the doctor's hide. They want to do the process so other patients don't experience what they did. Well, if, if the doctor or the clinic or the hospital would have followed up with them to say, here's what we have done to fix the process that created the problem that you had, how, how many dollars of, of lost investment could have been recouped because people wouldn't go after that? So it, it becomes important to follow up with the customer and let them know what you've done to make that right. Yeah. One thing that I, I interviewed uh, Chris Foss, he was an yeah. international hostage negotiator. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about labeling. So when, when somebody, so when in customer service, if somebody gets frustrated, instead of just hearing them out and responding to what they're saying, sometimes you respond to what they're not saying. So it sounds like, it seems like, it feels like that you are frustrated. Sounds like we let you down. And when somebody just feels heard, sometimes that just solves their problem. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's, it's interesting even to, as you listen to them, you know, when, when you say it, it, it sounds like, feels like you've been let down, you, you almost hear a, you know, just the, the, the tension and the anger that the customer has is released. And, and now you're over the biggest hurdle there. You know, but the, the thing we often, I think, forget is that customers bring the baggage of every negative experience with everybody they've done business with, both at work and at home, to, to that conversation. They, they come in, if they've been treated badly elsewhere, they come in with the expectation, perhaps unfounded, but still, you know, it's real to them, that, that you're not going to treat me any better than anybody else has. I, I've been abused by this company. Now you're going to do the same, aren't you? And, 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 and that's, that's a problem, but it's, it's the reality that we have to confront to deliver an ultimate customer experience. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even necessarily another company. It could be somebody else inside that same company that let them down. And maybe yep. it's just because they had a bad day. I, I joke about playing operator lottery. And an operator lottery is when you call a helpline and you don't get somebody that's very helpful. So you just hang up and call the number back, hoping the lottery wheel is going to spin you around to somebody that's committed to helping out their customer. And, and that's a problem too, because I, I, you know, I talk about, we own the trademark on the term ultimate customer experience. And if it's random, it's not ultimate. And, and that's another place that we can go negative. Who, who are the, who are the people we either need to retrain or not retain? Because if, if they can't meet our standards, that damages everybody in our organization. Yeah, so with, with damage, I, with organizations, we kind of see a lot of organizations like Toys R Us and Blockbuster and Compact and others. I mean, we can go in and have a list of, list of them, but they lose their luster a little bit, lose their shine. But if a company loses their shine and they used to be iconic, can it be regained? Yeah, it, it, it can be. Uh, it, it depends, first of all, on how abused your customers feel. Um, one example I used in the book was Radio Shack. I don't know that I ever had an extraordinary customer experience at Radio Shack. 
Um, and, and I had bad experiences at, at uh, Circuit City, for example. So when they went out of business, there was no real longing, you know, to get about. So it would naturally be harder for them because they hadn't built a reservoir of goodwill. But another company that's become a client of mine is United Airlines. And one of the things that they realized is, first off, you can't immediately come back and say, fly the friendly skies when people are going, hey, you weren't too damn friendly last time that <laughs> was on United. <laughs> uh, but they realized you have to do that from the inside out. And, and I think that that's one of the real issues that happens when you try to regain this lost luster is that you, first of all, have to realize what the problems are internally. You have to accept it and acknowledge it and own it. And you have to fix it internally before you can go externally. Because really what you're saying when you try to regain it is we screwed up, we own it, we fixed it. And now we're trying to get you to take another chance on us as a customer. And, and that means you better have your internal systems right because the customer isn't going to give you too many chances after that. You know, they, they might give you a second chance, but they're not giving you a third and fourth and fifth chance while you figure this out, right? You, you've got to fix it internally before you can take it externally to customer. Yeah, I love that. So I got to ask the question because for somebody who is in the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame, You've got a you've you've spoken everywhere, probably in in crazy amount of countries, right? It's, we talked about fifty states, all fifty states, and twenty three countries and counting. If you can go back and speak at one more place, where would it be, and why? Uh, the the first thing that popped into my head um, was I I had the privilege of uh, of speaking in Moscow. Uh, in the 1980s, uh, I was part of a student organization, and, and they, um, uh, through that, they put me to speak there. And it was uh, it was before the fall of the Soviet Union. I, I would love to go back and just experience that again, just to see how much that city has changed. Um, uh, I, I, and the student organization I was a part of was FFA. At the time I was in, it was called Future Farmers of America. Now there are so many urban programs in you know, small animal care for veterinary uh, people, tech, uh, technicians, and so forth. But uh, it's just FFA. Um, they invited me to back to speak to the convention a few years ago. Uh, there were 40,000 people in the audience. Um, so to get to do that again would, would also be a, a great privilege. That's a great question. You know, there are, I, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. There have been so many extraordinary experiences that that I've had, you know, it's, it's kind of like saying uh, to, to a parent, okay, so which is your favorite child? <laughs> there are so many great experiences, but uh, that's, that's a couple that would be really, really neat to, to redo. That's great. Thanks for sharing, Scott. So I, I wait, all right, I asked two questions to uh, my, every guest. And the, the first question is, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? So parameters. And then the second one is if you could leave a note to every customer service representative, it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? The answer to the first one, uh, it, it, it's a person and the book that they've written. I think a lot of times um, we, we take things for granted. You know, we're always looking for that new shiny object. Yeah. And I have a great friend named Joe Calloway who wrote a book called Be the Best at What Matters Most. And... 
I, I love that simple philosophy. You know, it's it, it's not be the best at everything. It's not be the best at, it is first of all, and it gets, gets back to the clarity piece we talked about earlier, really defining what's important and then be the best at that. And, and focus your attention and focus your resources on being the best at what matters most. And I, I had read that book uh, in this last year of time of COVID. I reread it and it's, it's powerful and it's inspiring and it's instructive all at the same time. I love it. If I was going to leave a, a note for folks in, involved and engaged with customers, it would simply say, if I were being treated the way that I am currently treating this customer, would it make me excited to do business here again? I think that's the ultimate question, you know? That is the ultimate question. Yeah, it, that is it, uh, because it's a gut check too. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 ask, uh, I ask companies, would you do business with you? If you, if you had a choice, and the question or the answer is usually silence because they don't want to answer it. Yeah. But uh, I love the question. I love that. I think it's profound. Uh, I, I, I ask uh, I ask executives. I say, "How would you like to work for you?" And I had a guy go, "I got to quit for it." You ask that's a that's a brilliant question, Nick. I, I love that. Would you do business with you? I mean that because it is. It's a gut check. It gets you back to. You know, if, if I was being treated as, if I were the customer and I'm being treated like this when I'm doing business, would, would I would I want to go back and buy for me or be served by me or be helped by me at a call center? Yeah. Uh, would, would I want that again? So. Yeah. That's great. So Scott, how can my listeners get a hold of you? If they want to buy your book, if they want to book you for a speaking gig, uh, what's the best way to, to get a hold of you? Yes, I appreciate you asking, Nick. Uh, a couple ways. One is just scottmccain.com. It's M-C-K-A-I-N, so a little bit different spelling. It talks about the, the speaking business and tells you more than you'd ever want to know <laughs> about me. Uh, we also have a program called the Iconic Inner Circle, and every week you get an assignment about what you can do to become more iconic, and every month we get together and do a Q&A. There are also programs that we have that are a part of that that are you know self-paced learning programs on creating a distinctive story, how do you get better on online with communication, virtual communication? Uh, one is on you know, setting your, your goals and your values and making sure that they're in alignment. So there's several things there. And, and Nick, one of the things that we're doing for folks that uh, are kind enough to listen to the podcast, uh, if you go to iconicinnercircle.com, uh, your first month's free and you can quit anytime. So there's no risk. So sign up, if, try it for a month. If you like it, we'd love to have you remain. If you, you know, if, if, if you get the information and don't want to proceed, then you can quit and it's free. So uh, just go to iconicinnercircle.com and take a look. I love that. It, however, if you sign up for 12 months, you got to get a tattoo of Iconic Inner Circle on <laughs> yeah, your arm. That, that might go on the other arm, right? I, I, I thought of that. That's a great you, idea. You're going to have to stop writing books because you're going to be full of tattoos. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look like the guy at the county fair. You know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Scott, appreciate your time. Uh, everybody, go buy this guy's book, Iconic, How Organizations and Leaders Attain, Sustain, and Regain the Ultimate Level of Distinction where books are sold. Uh, Scott, appreciate your time and uh, looking forward to the success you got here in the coming years. I, I really appreciate it, Nick. It's been a delight being with you. Thank you. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. 
And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.